0: cool. The court. Bonjour. Please be
1: seated. Case uh, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation uh, versus His Majesty the King and Named Person, and between the Attorney General of Quebec and His Majesty the King and Named Person. For the appellants, the Attorney General of Quebec, Pierre Luc Bouchard, Simon Pierre Lavoie, Maître. Michel Dehomme. For the appellants, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Christian Leblanc, Patricia Henault, Isabelle Callard. For the intervener, the Canadian Association of Muslim Lawyers, Sheriff M. Foda. For the intervener, the Advocates Society, Bernard Amio, Alexandra R. Lation, and Geneviève Godet. For the intervener, the Quebec Bar Association, Nicolas legrand alary Sylvie Champagne, and André Philippe Mallette. For the intervener, the Quebec Association of Defence Lawyers, at al., Mary Springate, Chantal Belavance.
0: Abby Desman, and Alexi Wood. For the intervener, Canadian Civil Liberties Association, Adam Goldenberg, and Simon Boutier. For the interveners, Adidem, Canadian Media Lawyers Association, at al., Scott Dawson, Catherine George. For the Intervener Criminal Lawyers Association, Ontario, Anil K. Kapoor and Alexandra Eni. For the intervenor, General of Canada.
1: For the intervener, the Attorney General of Canada, Jeanette Gobeil and Marc Ribbeiro.
0: Ribier- Jim Clark and Cathy For the intervener, Attorney General of, of Alberta, Deborah Alford. Yeah. Beauchene.
1: Mr. Bochen. Good morning, Uh, this is subject to a publication ban. You have the floor. Uh, We uh, decided that we would split the 60 minutes uh, with 15 minutes for us and uh, 45 minutes for the media afterwards. The Attorney Gen- General of Quebec is asking you today to send this case back to the Court of Appeal so that there could be a partial lifting of the seals. Uh, this uh, would be subject to the necessary redacting to uh, to preserve uh, the informer's privilege. In other words, we would like the Court of Appeal to continue the exercise that it began in its February decision, February 2022, by while making sure that all of the information that could identify the police informer, the named person's identity, so to protect that. The uh, Court of Appeals action in this manner was necessary to reestablish the public's trust in the justice system uh, because it was only the appeal that showed that there had been a secret trial. So what we really want here is that, that light be shed with regard to what happened with regard to a secret trial? Ms. Rondeau, Justice Rondeau, as the Chief Justice of the Court of Quebec, and with the conclusions of the Court of Appeal in the February decision in paragraphs 7 to 18, she denounces a, a secret court, and that is not accurate. And the Court of Quebec actually states that there wasn't really a secret trial. But a careful reading of the redacted version of the respondent's factum that was presented against the appellant's uh, factum also raises questions with regard to whether or not there even was a secret trial. Uh, Some passages in the respondent's factum clearly lead us to believe that we are not actually dealing with a secret trial here. We would submit that the public has a right to know whether what happened in this case can truly be called a secret trial with all of that uh, all of the negative connotations that that has we would like to start by highlighting uh, the fact that the attorney generals of ontario and alberta and the respondents uh, that in this particular case it is not uh, uh, appropriate to clarify uh, the process used in Vancouver Sun the procedure in Vancouver Sun is not uh, what underlies uh, the, um, the effect on the open court principle with regard to what happened in, in first instance because here this is not a situation in which this court must change its mind simply because there has been a problem in applying the law. This is not a place, a situation in which a precedent is no longer applicable. Vancouver Sun, it's not the case that Vancouver Sun is no longer based on on principles that, 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 no longer apply. What needs to be established is the balance between the rights of the media and the open court principle and the protection of informers. So today, uh, we uh, will be addressing the arguments presented by the media and some of the interveners with regard to changing the composition of the circle of privilege. It's important to recall Uh, that uh, informer privilege is aimed above all to protect the security of the police informer. The police informer must be absolutely certain that his or her identity is protected. So adding someone into the circle of privilege uh, under circumstances that are not truly exceptional could um, undermine the security of the informer. It undermines the protection under the privilege. Even if third parties commit to, to keeping certain information confidential, it's not enough to guarantee the privilege, as this court uh, recognized in Ruthington. The wider the circle of privilege, the, the more the, in, the informer's security is compromised. And I would also r- recall that one of the purposes of informer privilege is to send the message to other potential informers that their identity will also be protected. With regard to sending a systematic notice to a media uh, that uh, goes against the uh, judicial discretion required to to choose the best procedure to meet the particular circumstances in order to protect the informer's identity and uh, the confidentiality of that identity. We even think that systematic notice to the media could reveal (laughs) the identity of the police informer. As established in Langverson, the procedure must be as flexible as possible in order to be able to adapt to all circumstances. As the, seeing as the Court of Appeal was able in its two decisions to separate out the information that could be made public those that couldn't, we would submit that the Court of Appeal erred by stating that a partial unsealing of the file would not be possible. As your court established in Langverson, all information that would not be likely to reveal the identity of the informer should be made public, That paragraph 41 of Vancouver Sun, where we can read the following. The judge must take all possible measures to ensure that the public has uh, the uh, greatest possible access. And the disclosure and publication are restricted only for the information which might tend to reveal the the informer's identity. And that is what what we are drawing to your attention. As even the respondents recognize, the open court principle extends to the possibility of consulting procedure and the documents on uh, the docket for, or on the court record. It is hard to understand why uh, the uh, Court of Appeal finds that it would not be uh, possible to unseal a part of the record for the following reasons in the February 2022 decision, the Court of Appeal describes the context in paragraphs 19 to 151 of the decision. It's a number of pages and paragraphs. We can see that the Court of Appeal discusses the police inquiry, the meetings with the named person. So this is not just a legal summary, really it's a chronological narrative of the facts In the record for the Court of Appeal. Secondly, in addition to referring to the police investigation in that chronological narrative, the Court of Appeal also includes long excerpts of uh, those interrogations in paragraph 25, 29, 30, and 37. So you will see that those excerpts are redacted and also contain short- Uh, legal summaries. Third, the Court of Appeal in its February decision also quotes um, paragraphs from the trial record, uh, paragraphs 16, 73, and 100. So we wonder this, if the Court of Appeal was able to make certain types of information available like excerpts of the interrogations by police well why not continue that exercise and um, make all of its record accessible of with of course redacting of any information that that would tend to reveal the identity of the informer. So what we are humbly requesting is that the Court of Appeal continue the exercise that it began in its February decision. There are also some uh, additional elements that would support a partial unsealing of the court's record, stating that it would be possible. In paragraph 139, uh, the Court of Appeal stated that it's not a very large record. So we can't really talk about the principle of uh, judicial uh, efficiency. Also in this particular case, uh, the uh, respondents were able uh, to uh, submit uh, uh, redacted procedures that are accessible to the public. So why couldn't that same exercise be carried out by the Court of Appeal if it was possible to do so here? The Vancouver Sun decision is clear. All possible measures must be taken to ensure that the public has the greatest possible access to the debate, and the communication of information can only be restricted if that information would tend to reveal the identity of an informer. Given the exceptional context of this uh, case, and given the fact that the Court of Appeal in in its decision had concluded that there had been a a secret trial that only exists in the factums of the parties, we think that it is necessary for the Court of Appeal to unseal its record partially so that there can be some tangibility given to a a trial that was not If I'm following your argument, your hypothesis is that there was no secret trial. The Court of Appeal, in using those words, was that responsible or irresponsible in your view? Answer. Well, it's difficult for me to say, but I think that it is more up to the people who are actually there and know the facts of the case to actually let the court know what the answer to that would be. So the Court of, of, um, of Quebec representative and the respondents. It is difficult for us to to state whether it was responsible or irresponsible, but some respondents are even saying that there was no secret trail, trial. So perhaps those words could be toned down um, because some uh, some of
2: this was happened in in camera. But is it really a secret trial?
3: No way.
2: Personally, we don't believe so, but it is not for us to determine. For these reasons, we are asking you to send this case to the Court of Appeal so that in co- cooperation with other parties, uh, they may be a partial unsealing of the, of the case. Obviously, I repeat, and it is fundamental for us, it should be redacted. It should not, we should not be able to access all information that are susceptible to unveil the informant's identity. Thank you. Mr. Leblanc, Mr. Chief Justice, Lady uh, Justices, first of all, I would like to say that the appellants do not question informer privilege. They are not questioning the robust protection that this court and jurisprudence has given to police informer privilege. We are not questioning the fact that there is a right to set us that the only time you can set aside police informant privilege is when uh, innocence is at stake. Once uh, the privilege is set, what must be done, what, what must be public and not public? And that needs to be reviewed. We, we just discussed it quickly, but here, this is a trial that is described by the Court of Appeal As existing only in the memories of the individuals involved and I cannot emphasize that enough in number one of our condensed record there is an extract of the first uh, ruling the redacted ruling we know that the first one came out in February 2022 but this is from March 2022 and we reproduce paragraph one and the last sentence of paragraph 11 of the ruling by the Court of Appeal says this on the whole no trace of this trial exists except in the memory of the individuals involved three paragraphs lower in paragraph 14 still from the Court of Appeal I quote it is the court's opinion after examining the case that this way of proceeding was exaggerated and contrary to the basic principles that govern Our justice system. I would like to highlight that those introductory remarks of the ruling by the Court of Appeal in March 2022 are picked up in the ruling of July 2022 and which deals with the scope of what should be made public or not. The court uh, reiterates those comments those introductory comments I do not know what evidence was, ta- was submitted uh, the then Chief Justice of, to, to then Chief Justice of the Court of Appeal, J- Justice Rondeau, Rondeau. It is an enigma, but it now affirms that there was no secret trial. What I can tell you is that uh, in the mind of the public, what we are seeing is a Canadian Had a, is asking for a state of proceedings uh, arguing an abuse of the state because they were found guilty of a crime and all of that happened without anyone being aware including Chief Justice Ondo who if you know at, if you look at her two uh, statements set just said notably in paragraphs seven and eight of her statement that she does not know what it dealt with that she conducted an internal investigation and was still in the dark for me and for us that is a secret criminal procedure let's call it that which unfolded without any kind of control the Chief Justice says it it questions the obligation to To oversee uh, judges under uh, the legislation when the Court of Appeals said what I just quoted it continued by saying however I cannot act because I do not have uh, the jurisdiction to review the confidentiality order that the trial judge issued and what I should do is To send you before the uh, court the judge to review the decision but I am aware that I cannot do so because I at the Court of Appeal determined that the identity of the judge would be enough to identify the police informer so therefore you cannot take action but that changes nothing. So on one hand there are the fundamental rights are at issue and I would say they have been harmed, but on the other hand, no one can take action. That is one of the reasons for which we are here today. Because this situation, in our opinion, cannot remain unchallenged and we must ensure that in the future, this type of situation cannot happen again obviously we do not know what we do not know we know however that in ontario in the the, the same situation occurred we know that in bc in the bacon affair there was there was a, a, a everything was redacted i would like to cite in in tab two of our condensed record what the appeal said about its ability to review this decision it said it, it, it quantified this in, in, in rather extreme terms in paragraph 98 last sentence concerning the uh, the trial orders the, the court does not have the necessary jurisdiction to uh, cancel or amend them the demands of the media will therefore be rejected at this point because it, there is it is it, we cannot take action in the in the next page of our uh, condensed record in paragraphs 145 and 146 it adds on the same subject the court is obviously aware of the fact that not being able to I, to reveal the identity of the trial court uh, it uh, puts the media in a in a de facto situation that pre- prevents them from asking for a review of the orders uh, issued by this tribunal and it was signaled in a in a hearing of uh, June 6th so the media appellants are in a situation are in an impossible situation that uh, would give the court a a jurisdiction that it does not have. The court cannot uh, resolve the issue by divulging the name of the trial court. Uh, It is convinced that this uh, publication of information would risk uh, the identifying named person this uh, sharing of information given the circumstances would uh, harm it in the informer privilege so I will come back to 129 of her decision and it is she says it is an aberration those are the words of the Court of Appeal not mine and this aberration can unfortunately not be uh, resolved what you're asking for here and uh, master uh, uh, mr. LeBlanc are you Asking for the right to appeal the uh, the not the publication ban, we wondered. It is a question. It is a complicated question because we don't know what the order is. So, in the review of the order, that is also complicated because I could not tell you what part should be reviewed. But we are certainly appealing. Well, what I see is that we are appealing. There was an error by the trial judge. Why? because we see in the judgment of the court of appeal the first uh, march ruling that a number of facts could have been revealed without imperiling the identity of the police informer some 16 pages of facts excerpts of the, of the trial court ruling are found in the Court of Appeal. Testimony and excerpts of, t- of testimony of police officers that interacted with the police informant are left unredacted. And we need to understand the Court of Appeal has said all of this was done with the party's agreement. Before publishing our redacted agreement, we distributed it, some additional redacted was, was Requested and here is our ruling. So these same parties that were involved in the trial court that made a a a joint request, they are still joint before you. Uh, There are this named person and the Crown, federal or provincial, it doesn't matter. Those same parties that appeared before the trial judge saying everything needs to be secret. I'm not going to, you know, the name of the judge, the court, the lawyers, everything should be secret. Even the even the notes. Those same parties agreed to have some information revealed to the Court of Appeal. It's important to know because I will get to a solution and I think that it was seeing the progression of this file. So the trial judge certainly committed an error of law, first of all, I believe, uh, by reading Vancouver Sun and the comments of Judge Bastarache for the majority as being, which state that a trial could even go so far as being in full in-camera to protect a police informer, as meaning full and complete secrecy as is the case here and I don't think that's what the majority of the Supreme Court said at that time. The second, secondly, when we apply Vancouver Sun to the facts at issue and the Court of Appeal says to us that the trial judge in their ruling which we did not see but the Court unveils this fact applied Vancouver, Vancouver Sun or at least mentioned Vancouver Sun. By applying Vancouver Son, the judge concluded that everything must be secret and we see that visibly, the proof is in the file, there are a number of facts and at a minimum what the Court of Appeal has uh, revealed, then they could have been revealed at the original trial. So the direct consequence of all of this is that the right of the public to information <laughs> and the publication of a legal debate is directly impacted but we have no means of defending those rights. Because we can't forget another important fact as well. If there had not been an appeal of the conviction at the trial court, no one would have been aware of what happened. No one would have known that this process, this day of proceedings, this uh, denunciation by the court of the merit of the the abuse of the state, that there had been an abuse of uh, uh, police of a uh, police informer would never have been revealed and we we don't know what we don't know I'll come back to that but the Chief Justice whether it's from the Court of Quebec or the Supre- Superior Court would have not known in our opinion it is a situation that is uh, untenable simply to convince you in tab three of our condensed record I wanted to give you some excerpts of all of the facts that the Court of Appeal revealed. And I would say, notably, there were excerpts of rulings. You'll find them in, in, in tab 3 of page 23. There are three paragraphs that are somewhat um, uh, redacted, but barely. And they are of the ruling. And if we go back to page 13, 14, and 15, and 17, still in tab 3, there are long uh, excerpts, somewhat redacted, of uh, uh, police interrogations that are on the record. So here is, that's why we're here, specifically. Yes, Mr. Chief Justice, I think we need to Review and I'm sorry that I can't be more precise because I just have what I have before me, but we need to review this order And more generally speaking, I mean need to ensure that this situation cannot happen again in our country. You know I Don't have much time and in any case. I know that the court is aware of the importance of the fact of having public judicial legal debates in Canada and that the, co- the trust of the public rests on this fundamental pillar. And there have been many rulings of the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court that, that enshrine these principles from Edmonton Journal to Toronto Star. We know them all. Unfortunately, we have these principles that we hold dear, but now we need to ensure that concretely we ensure that they are applied and I am saying it that way because now we have proof. This has taken us by, by surprise. And nobody is questioning the probity of the trial judge, of the, uh, of the actors, of the lawyers and same thing for the Court of Appeal which I salute. It has updated this file. It revealed facts. It. it weighed in and said this was unacceptable. But once that has been said, how do we ensure that every Canadian knows that this cannot happen again in our country? So that's the solution. Well, what is important is that Canadians know that there is no secret trial in Canada, that the the public nature of debate is an essential pillar of democracy and to allow citizens to have confidence in their institutions uh, to see how we know how fragile democracy can be and so it is important to maintain these principles. But
1: here do you think that the Court of Appeal was right to say that it's a secret trial because I think that's what drew the media's attention. I think and I read the Court of Appeals' decisions side by side with what I was able to see from the record, which is what anyone could have seen, and I must uh, draw the conclusion, and I'm not delving in semantics here, is that there was, a, there was a procedure, and there was a stay of proceedings, and there was also the only defense of uh, the police informer that we find out, too, and then generally, and then the conviction was overturned. That's what the Canadian public knows. And we never find out what it was about, who the judge was, who the parties were, we don't know anything else. And if I am mistaken, and the proceedings were actually public, I would, be tempted to say that that doesn't change much because a, we would never have found out what had happened unless there had been an appeal. So that first proceeding was under the cloak of secrecy. And that is what is unacceptable according to the Court of Appeal and according to us. It's a fundamental right. And to answer your question, Chief Justice, yes, it is important and I would like to emphasize that it's important for – to know that, that Canada is at the forefront of countries that has a very robust justice system with regard to all aspects, but particularly with regard to the open court principle. And it's important for every Canadian to know that there is no such thing as a secret trial, and that requires a solution that reassures Canadians and shows them that there can no longer ever be a secret trial. So there needs to be a solution, and I would like to talk about that now quickly. The solution only intervenes at the second stage for the police informer. So the first stage that we know about that happens ex parte and that is aimed at determining whether informer privilege exists, there we should not be there, we're not there, we shouldn't be there and we do not want to change anything about that part of it. But once the informer's privilege has been established, it cannot be set aside unless it's the accused innocence that is at stake, and we don't want to change anything to that, either. But then, at the second stage, once we've established the privileges there, the judge and the parties have to ask themselves the following question. What must be made public? And we know that according to Vancouver Sun, this court has stated that an effort must be made to ensure that the greatest number of facts must be made public without identifying the police informer. And it is at that stage that I think that some solutions should be brought to bear. It may not be, as my colleague stated, the procedure in Vancouver Sun that underlies the the reason for the secret trial, but it's important to see that the lower court judge, by applying Vancouver Sun, did conclude that the procedure should be secret. And so it's not just a problem with applying Vancouver Sun, it's the fact that, that that applying Vancouver Sun led to this these secret proceedings that no one had any handle on, even the Chief Justice of the Court of Quebec, assuming that the Court of Quebec was involved. The Superior Court judge was also in the dark. We have an excerpt with an, of an interview with the Chief Justice staying, saying that he tried to find out whether it was his court that had been involved, and he was not able to get that information. So the solutions that we propose are aimed more at ensuring that, at the very least, there could have been a decision like the decision of the Court of Appeal. What I mean by that is that, at least, The bare minimum, and I haven't read the rest of the information, and I haven't seen other information that could have been disclosed with regard to uh, something that an intervener or an interested third party could have provided information to the court about. But we want, as a minimum, what the Court of Appeal provided. Because how do we ensure that the lower court judge could have made public some of the elements of his decision? And that we see in the Court of Appeals decision. We have a twofold proposal. One, there has to be adversarial debate. Our justice system is based on adversarial debate and it's not for nothing. I said it earlier, there is a robust legal system in Canada, the judges know. Uh, the law and, and, and procedure, but adversarial debate is essential, and that is referred to in Vancouver Sun when Justice Bastarache says specifically with regard to the identity of a police informer and the um, the openness with which the facts can be shown to the public, the only parties, only the parties within the circle of privilege will argue in favor of greater privilege and confidentiality and the judge doesn't get the other side of the story. So in our opinion, adversarial debate is fundamental and essential. I will not go further into the, ad, the deleterious and the advantageous effects of that debate, but we do address it in our, in our factum. Mr. Leblanc, I would like to ask you a question about what you think about the scope of Vancouver Sun. Are you asking this court to review Vancouver Sun, to set it aside? So when it comes to the need for adversarial debate or proceedings, I imagine that you will talk about the uh, the Dajne and Mentuck tastes and that logic and how it has to be applied. But I'm wondering this, and it may be what others argue but do you follow Vancouver Sun down the line or are you asking us to clarify it or maybe even to deny it? Justice Kessler what we are asking is this so what Vancouver Sun tells us about the procedure to which it refers is good, but then when someone has to have a debate, when someone has to participate in a proceeding, what is the risk? Well, the risk is that the lower court judge will say, listen, I applied Vancouver Sun here and my conclusion is complete. Secrecy. You will not know the judicial district in which this will be tried. You will not know who the crown is. You won't have the names of counsel. You will have nothing. But when you look at the Court of Appeals decision, we can say with 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 all due respect, that was not the right decision made by the lower court judge. So what has to happen is to avoid that kind of decision from having, from from ever occurring again, the lower court, court decision is to have a systematic notice sent to the media so that there can be adversarial debate about the secrecy. So it's an easy conclusion to come to. If the notice itself is enough to identify the police informer, well then the proceedings have to be stayed because the outcome is that if the notice itself is enough to identify an informer then we get back to a situation where only the people involved in the case and let's take this case as an example. So the Crown lawyer, the named persons lawyer and the judge are the only ones who can decide even, and, and the, the judge can apply Vancouver Sun and state that it will all be secret. So I think that that throws the administration of justice into such disrepute and so undermines the public's confidence in the legal system and violates the public's right to information that there has to be a procedure and that the state of proceedings will be far less harmful Uh, than to maintain a criminal proceeding that can lead to imprisonment in complete secrecy. That is more harmful. Adversarial debate was, in fact, Justice Kasserer, and we agree on this completely, is considered in Vancouver Sun and it's at tab four of our condensed book. At paragraph 46, The court indicates that there is the first stage where there is no participation by interested third parties, and we agree with that. But then, on the next page, there's paragraph 50 and 51, and I would like to read you part of that. Having established the existence of an informer privilege, the judge is charged with carrying on the proceedings without violating that privilege by disclosing any information that might tend to reveal the confidential informer's identity while at the same time protecting and promoting the values of the open court principle. That's, yes, absolutely. Next paragraph, paragraph 51, the court adds, in determining the proper way of protecting informer privilege, and realizing the open court principle, the judge must concern himself or herself with minimal intrusion. And this truly is a challenge. I agree. And therefore, it is a challenge that, that deserves adversarial debate. It, it goes on, he or she may alo- allow submissions from individuals or organizations other than the attorney general and the informer at this point. This is, of course, because the attorney general and the confidential informer will argue strenuously in favor of restricting any and all disclosure of information related to the proceeding, eliminating the efficiencies of the adversarial process, which is exactly what I am submitting here. But once that has been said, then I think with great humility and great respect, I think that there it has to be ensured that that debate can actually take place and that that is based on issuing a notice. It cannot happen in a vacuum. That adversarial debate requires a notice, but it should, it must also be useful. And so it must also, it also requires a sharing of information. Question, so what you are proposing is to have Vancouver Sun changed, paragraph 52, States that a judge that sees that there is informal privilege should, if the judge decides, uh, ad, ad states that it, or decides that it's in the interest of justice, should send a notice of the uh, the court where the the proceedings will take place in a public place. So you're sa- it's just it's up to the ju- judge's discretion, but here you would want to change paragraph 52 of, of the Vancouver Sun decision. Yes, that is what I'm asking this court to do, because otherwise it's just a matter of, of, of principles, but it can lead to what we have just seen in Quebec and in Ontario. So the court erred by including that discretionary aspect, because it's not, um, uh, it's not appropriate to, to interfere in the jurisdiction of another court because we can see that Vancouver can, the Sun led to that kind of thing. Well, I would say, answer, I would say that in fact, what is in play here is that the application of, of paragraph 52 and the discretion of the judge in that paragraph can lead to the situation that we are faced with here. In 1994, Dagenet, as we know, discretion is there, but the interested third parties must be notified, including the media, and then there's the hierarchy in Dagenet, so there's a fair trial, and then there's the open court principle. And at the time, Justice Lamer said that the open court principle was always second in that prioritization. So somebody can actually go to prison if they don't have a fair trial. That's way more important than the open court principle. But Dagenais and this court said, no, there is no hierarchy. There has to be a waiting. And case law has evolved. You know, uh, Just, Justice Kessler with Sherman, you looked at the Dagenais and Mentuk um, tests without changing their essence. Vancouver's son has been applied since 27. I don't want to make an excuse here, but it's not exactly the same thing. Reformulating by saying it's the same test. Well, it is the same test, but it has been reformulated to make it easier to apply. That's one thing, but you just told me change the state of the law, and that's not at all the same thing. You're absolutely right. I wasn't establishing that parallel to say that you said did the same thing in Sherman with regard to Dajenet. My my purpose here was to, to talk about how the law evolves. So in Vancouver Sun, this court had made a mistake. You asked me that question, and I'm saying no, not necessarily, because what we see here is that if we apply Vancouver Sun in a certain way that was applied by the lower court judge in this case, well, then you can get to the the result that we are dealing with now. So beyond the principle that has been established in Vancouver Sun with regard to ensuring that it doesn't happen, I think, and I'll say it again, you're absolutely right. I think that on that point, Vancouver Sun
2: should be changed, amended, clarified. Okay. The discretion to which we are referring in Vancouver's Sun, in our opinion, should uh, disappear. Adversarial debate. You would also want to change Dagené because it refers to the discretionary power of the judge. Yes, there is this discretion, which has been tailored over the years. I would even say that in rare experience, there are requests to restrict publicity of debates, or whether there be publication bans, rare are the debates in, in, in any case in my district, and I, I don't know what I don't know, once again, but r- rarely is there a case without notice to interested parties. Uh, w- we raise the cases in BC and Ontario, and they have a, a systematic note, notice is issued. And I'm not saying that that's because the judge doesn't have discretion. What I'm saying is, it is now easy to send a notice. It's done regularly before our courts, but it is time to move to this from a discretionary notice to a systematic notice. And that notice isn't just for show, it is for adversarial debate, and to have adversarial debate the information needs to be shared. What information needs to be shared? Well, the information that Vancouver Sun refers to, and that was in tab 5 in paragraph 59 of the majority, and I quote the beginning of the paragraph. Moreover, circumstances may arrive in which this information should be given not to the actual members of any media organizations who may wish to make submissions but rather to their counsel only as officers of the court. Since the information released will always be limited to non-identifying information In some cases, there may be no great harm in allowing members of the media themselves to see this information. However, this must remain within the discretion of the judge as it is possible that the sensitivity of the information is such that the only way to ensure protection of the privilege is to insist that the information not be disclosed beyond counsel. In such a case, the media counsel will be given access only by agreeing to be bound by a court order not to disclose this information to their clients or to anyone else pending the court's decision on the extent of the in-camera coverage. So there are two guarantees so that there is no identification of the police informer. There's first of all the identification of these facts which can be of delicate nature but which do not reveal the identity of the informer and there is a perfect example here in the evidence which what the Court of Appeal revealed that information could have been transmitted and subject to adversarial debate from at the trial court level. I say that there are two guarantees because those information are first transmitted based on the judge's discretion, and we're not questioning that, with perhaps some restrictive measures, only for counsel, obviously in camera. And then there is an adversarial debate, and then following that debate, there will be facts that cannot be made public. Two guaranteed measures and that this first sorting that the court (coughs) refers to here must be done normally by the Crown and that is what is done regularly following uh, the jurisprudence of this court including McIntyre for search warrants. This is done regularly by the Crown with notably the use of Gardner charts we gave this example of a Gardner table in uh, tab 6 Gardner was a decision by the Court of Appeal of Ontario which guide guide has guided the courts for many years and which says if the information is too sensitive and risks identifying a fact that does not, that should not be revealed. And in the case of search warrants, it's perhaps because of an ongoing investigation. In the case that concerns us, it's the the identification of a police informer. Do make a a chart and tell us why some information could not be transmitted with themes. The reason for which, at least this reason of this, Argument against the uh, publication of the information could be subject to adversarial debate. The subject will not be. So, that is one way to proceed, which must be done in, in Gardner, and I think it's the right decision by the Crown. In paragraph 53 of the R- Gardner ruling, and I quote quickly, the Supreme the Court of Appeal of Ontario said that the Crown is the best place to do this type of exercise because it knows all the facts of the file. And I quote in excerpt. The Court of Appeal of Ontario said the Crown...
4: ...with all of the information is in the best position to, perf- to perform this task. D'ailleurs,
2: Furthermore, it is noted that the Court of Appeal in this file also does so. When it redacts its judgment, it indicates the grounds for the redaction, which is very useful and which could have been very useful in the lower court in the debate. It's also what named person does because we tabled in evidence and you you reviewed the uh, demand for uh, of, uh, in a civil case of a uh, named person against uh, the Crown and, and unveils a number of facts in that case and, and that also covers a lot of what the Court of Appeal already covered but has some additions as well and in what named person does is that the redacted paragraphs are explained. They say why they're, they're redacted. Once we have that information, we proceed with the adversarial debate as set out in in Vancouver Sun in paragraph 39, which I just read. And it's in this debate that we can be inspired by Dagené and Mantec not to know whether privilege exists, not to know whether Dagené and Mantec were formulated by Sherman, whether despite that there if, if we if they exist, we set it aside. No, not at all. I think we need to draw inspiration from Dajnay and Mantec in the second step in this uh, adversarial debate. And in tab seven of my condensed book, I quoted a couple of excerpts of Mantec. Sometimes we forget the facts of Mantec, but these are police techniques that uh, are, are being divulged and which endangered, and it says, which endangered the police officers that were already involved in uh, investigations that were anonymous and that could be um, put in danger because this was uh, shared, this information was shared. What does it say in Mantec? They said we must share the information nevertheless. And in paragraph 35, it's interesting because a number of parallels can be made. This, a second element is the meaning of the proper administration of justice. I do not wish to restrict unduly the kind of dangers which may make a ban necessary, as discretion is an essential aspect of the common law rule in question. However, judges should be cautious in deciding what can be regarded as part of the administration of justice. Obviously, the use of police operatives and informers is part of the administration of justice as are such practices as witness protection programs. However, courts should not interpret that term so widely as to keep secret a vast amount of enforcement information the disclosure of which would be compatible with the public interest. Sir, listening to you and and reading your brief, I, I would like to know whether you in your, in your statements about Vancouver Sun, and perhaps you'll correct me. I'm, I'm wondering whether you're asking for more, if the logic of Vancouver Sun, which after noting the importance and the strength of the informer privilege, Vancouver sum, Sun, says that there can be a flexible application of confidentiality measures which develops an effective procedure that the Supreme Court distance itself from the idea that there will be rigid rules that apply in all cases. So for Gardner, for for Levy, for the uh, counsel, application of counsel, everything is fl- is flexible. We give the uh, judge the opportunity to tailor it to the case given the importance for society of the protection of the privilege in question. But you, and once again I don't wish to misstep, you are proposing a more rigid framework which would remove this discretionary power from the judge which would fundamentally change Vancouver Sun and it would give a more Uh, important role to uh, the to you to the presence of media and that would perhaps not suit the circumstances mr. judge what what we are saying if if this is optional and discretionary then it will not we could uh, there could be situations arising like this one So, what do we do then? The way that we protect police informers and the way that we ensure that there is no secret trial, in my opinion, and I'm frank with you, it is to remove this discretionary power for notices, and we can look at Kirkpatrick and the Vancouver Sun interpreted it this way, leading to a secret trial, a secret process, and that becomes unworkable because what is most important here? It's the rule of law. We are protecting the police informer because we are aware that it is an important tool in criminal law, but we are also protecting the the publicity of legal debate because that's just as important. So what supersedes? It's the rule of law. And if a judge tells us, I have no choice but to give a notice under case law, but I am convinced that it will identify the police informer. while there's a stay of proceedings. Or the Crown, which will know that this situation could arise, will decide to prioritize the accused or not. Those two things can be done upstream because that is also important. If I know that by laying charges, I will align the legal system with total secrecy and furthermore an accused claims there is an abuse of this by the state and and the Court of Appeal gave gave cause in this case well then I will order a stay of proceedings. Mr. Leblanc you said that if the notice itself is sufficient to identify the informer, then there needs to be a stay of proceedings. But the judge is the one who will decide whether the notice itself uh, could allow for the identification of the police informer without any uh, opportunity for the media to question that decision. Do you agree? Yes, absolutely. And we must uh, rely in our system, in our justice system, that, uh, the, that the right decision will be made.
0: Do.
4: Modification.
2: that is why Vancouver Sun
1: needs to be changed if the judge knew that that was open to him and had to act in that way that would be an additional guideline but if we look at Vancouver Sun and the judge says to him or herself that I have total discretion not to give notice and not to share information well you know we asked ourselves that question what what would happen if we were in that situation, it, it, there may be other ways, but it always leads, as far as we see, to, to say that the principles are protected. But it is important to state and to make sure that everyone knows that a secret trial cannot ever take place, but unfortunately, that is something that can take place with Vancouver Sun as it stands. But at the same time, I don't want to bind a judge in the justice system in, in a process that would lead them to reveal the identity of a of, of police informer. So it's a bit like Jordan, where it was decided that at the time that, that if too much time is taken, that that undermines the interest of justice more than a stay of proceedings. And what I'm saying here is that a completely secret trial that can be held despite the application of Vancouver Sun is more harmful to the administration of justice than revealing the identity of police informers. The solution is not to reveal police informers' identity or to find solutions that would do so. But for me, the solution has to balance the two, and it's the judge's decision to say I will not lead the Canadian justice system down the road to a completely secret trial and in these circumstances, so I will stay proceedings. I would like to add to what Justice Kessler said. So it's not just an issue of ensuring that the procedure ensures adversarial debate. It's also to create a constitutional route, uh, right to notice. in. 133, Bastarache says that the decision to give a notice is a matter of the judge's discretion. However, no one has the right, constitutional or otherwise, to decide the circumstances in which the privilege is invoked. So what you are saying Seeking is not just a change in procedure, it is a constitutional right to receive notice. So that is the creation of a constitutional right. And Justice Hamel, it perhaps, and again, I don't want to descend into semantics, but. It's not necessarily a constitutional right that we want to have created, but we want to have guidance from this court. Because you have, you have thought about this, you will continue to think about it, but to us, if that is the only way to ensure that there can never be another secret trial. So, from what I have understood in your submissions, there was bad manage management of the lower court's decision and even perhaps the uh, the Court of Appeal. But for me, if I were a judge and I have that discretion I, and I read Vancouver's Sun, I have authority over my court, uh, Vancouver's Sun tells me I have the discretion and then I go ahead and I provide t- total um, total confidentiality but that's a poor exercise of my discretion. But how do we make sure that that exercise and discretion is not questioned but that, doesn't that ignore the uh, paragraph 50 of Vancouver Sun? It's very clear that the judge's discretion is limited by uh, the issue of uh, protecting the values on which the open court principle rests. So it's in the decision. Uh, it's stated that discretion is not complete. Yes, I agree. But the problem is, is that Discretion can be exercised by a judge in, in the way that we see here and still respect paragraph 50, and it can still lead to total secrecy. And if there hadn't been an appeal, we would never have known that the discretion of the lower court judge, even though that judge had to ensure that a part of it had been made public, had been carried out in error. So there was an error at the lower courts, but I, my heart goes out to the judge because we saw it. There was no adversarial debate. So we have to make sure that there is the opportunity to have adversarial debate and that a notice goes out to ensure that the adversarial debate is not thrown out. And I would like to add something about amicus curiae. I don't think that creating an, a, an amicus system for this kind of case is necessary. Uh, we know that, that the courts have uh, the standing. Um, or the, So we see in Manitoba that there are some people who do not get standing to be able to participate in that debate. And, and discretion also comes into play in Manitoba as well. I don't want to go there necessarily. But yes, I mean discretion is everywhere because, rightly or wrongly, and I think it's rightly, is that the legislator gives a great deal of discretion to judges in given circumstances because on the one hand we have a great judiciary and a robust legal system, and so we can trust the decisions of judges who may make mistakes. It could be with regard to you know the judicious exercise of discretion, but discretion is part of our legal system <clears throat> and has been established and tested for a number of years. Yes, Chief Justice, but because we don't know Vis- – in this case, for example, that the discretion was actually exercised and how it was exercised because the trial was secret. So my solution to ensure that this never happens again, I end up logically thinking about it to state that discretion, the judge's justice, justice discretion is not completely done away with, but it is done away with with regard to the notice that is given to interested third parties. And if, you, if the judge decides that there is no way of not revealing the informer's identity through the notice, then the, there has to be a state of proceedings. There has to be a notice of interest to third party so that there can be a possibility to enlighten the court. Thank you. The court will be taking its morning break for 15 minutes.
0: the court use a swallow
1: Please be seated Sheriff Photo. Justice, Justices, may it please the court. This case deals with the important issue of the appropriate balance when there is a tension between open court and the protection of informers. We do not take a position on uh, the on Vancouver Sun or on the state proceedings here. But as uh, the representatives of a a group of racialized uh, lawyers, we do stress that it is incredibly important for uh, Canadians to have uh, confidence in uh, the administration of the justice um, system and uh, the protection of uh, informal privilege we would like to say that minority racialized groups or underprivileged groups should have access to a historical and jurisprudential record that provides confidence to the members of their group when it comes to people who could be accused. Second, the accused can come from all kinds of communities, including the Muslim community. And it is important for uh, the public to know that, that when it comes to the informer's privilege, then there w- and if there's, there's some question about it, that there will be a fair proceeding to decide what to do. And third, Muslim Canadians do have an interest to ensure that uh, trials are as transparent as possible, to ensure that justice is done. We would say that some interveners, like the AQAD and the ADN, are submitting that some information is necessary to respect the minimal level of of the open court principle in criminal trials, such as which court it is being tried at. And there's also, uh, we are also submitting that there should be a minimum amount of information provided to the public through a notice. Or rather, one of the the appellants. But we are submitting that that there are some indicators like the race, gender, indigenous status, and other characteristics of groups that might be underprivileged within the the criminal justice system should, as much as possible, be known to the public. For the purpose of research and developing the jurisprudence and the adoption of, of legislation, the historic record provides a rich source of, for making reliable conclusions. The uh, players in the penal justice system, the victims, the accused, the judges and counsel cannot be completely removed from the confidence of the or the public's confidence in that system. I would also like to state that can, Canadian Muslims are also act as police informers and uh, it is in their interest to ensure that informer privilege protects their interests. Clear arguments, your arguments apply to all Canadian citizens. Yes, absolutely, Chief Justice, all Canadian citizens. So clear and and foreseeable rules will make sure that the relations between police informers and government uh, officials are smooth. And in this court, in Paragraph 16 of Vancouver Sun and paragraph 30 of the Barros, um decision state that it is important to have robust and clear rules about informer privilege, so uh, there's not an undermining of their of their willingness to cooperate. So there has to be clear and well balanced, foreseeable uh, rules that ensure justice for everyone. Finally. I would also like to highlight the importance of uh, publishing the uh, sentences and the verdicts in criminal cases. Uh, we know that uh, Muslim Canadians are uh, uh, overly targets of hate crimes and uh, paragraph 118 of the Criminal Code includes a dissuasive effect. Uh, so that can't happen if there is no verdict or sentence. Muslim Canadians, all underprivileged groups and Canadians in general, Uh, need to know the outcome of a criminal case and that is to the benefit of the criminal justice system and finally adversarial debate is important to ensure that everyone concerned the accused and victims uh, are treated fairly and informers play a role in maintaining the robustness of the legal system the transparency and the rules it must ensure that the balance between the open courts and the protection of informers so that there is no undermining of the public's confidence in the justice system. Thank you. Mr. Emu, Chief Justice, Justices, the Advocates' Society represents 6,000 litigating counsel throughout Canada, and with judges in all jurisdictions, we agree that there is a pressing need for guidance to ensure that we don't fall into the pitfalls that we see in this case. I know that there are no two identical causes and there's no silver bullet for all problems. And that is why the Advocate Society, in a context where the court must protect the almost, the quasi-absolute privilege of informers and with regard to the discretion in very complex cases should have nonpartisan, independent support so that the court th- that has its duty to preserve the legitimacy of the proceedings and to ensure that uh, the public trusts this, the legal system in general. The Advocate Society uh, would like to see amicus curiae involved uh, from the very first step of Vanco- under Vancouver Sun and that is within the framework that has already been established by this court in uh, Vancouver Sun and in Bassi. So the court with the amicus curiae have enlightenment that will adapt to the circumstances of the case before it. The amicus will be able to provide enlightenment in the absence of a party, not necessarily the accused, but also it could be the media or any other interested third party from civil society. The presence of the amicus curiae would also make it possible to have adversarial debate. And we know that the the lower court judge should not play an inquisitorial role and we know that often uh, cross-examination is is not something that judges are comfortable with. At paragraph 48 of Vancouver Sun, the court recognizes that that the non-adversarial nature of uh, the proceedings at that stage could be a concern. So in an in-camera situation or ex parte, we think that the present of an amicus would make it possible to establish a transparent process that would, uh, would make it possible to ensure transparency as complete as possible and to ensure that the case is not dealt with in the most restrictive way possible. I would stress that this does it is a matter of the judge's discretion with regard to the decision to ask for the services of an amicus. Uh, Mr. Amieux, I have a question. The court in Vancouver Sun at paragraph 49, when talking about the possibility of having an amicus, talks about certain situations and unusual situations where the uh, judge decides that it is necessary to have an amicus participate. So I wonder whether you think that that's the proper nuance. What we submit, Justice Kasserer, is that the fact that the amicus is called in in exceptional or unusual circumstances, it should be seen with regard to the fact that in-camera proceedings and ex-party proceedings are are in themselves unusual. There's uh, the BC and the Bacon decision stated
0: it's rare step it's, of, it's even more serious to hide the fact a hearing is ongoing De sorte que le juge vaste discrétion
1: therefore the judge has vast discretion to decide what is necessary uh, with the advice of the amicus having an amicus participate in the proceedings and then i'll go back to the uh, bc court of appeal decision in post media network where it states that the public and the parties will then at least be aware of the uh the claim and application of the privilege were debated fully with the participation of a of of impartial third party party uh, that is accountable to the court, acting on behalf of a party. And so in post-media, the
5: Ceiling of
0: the and considered.
1: This leads me, if I may, to talk about the appellant's factum and uh, the Attorney General's submissions this morning and to state that the uh, Advocate Society would like to avoid uh, the shifting that you're asked to be t- t- put into a in the... In a tab four of our condensed book, in referring to their factum, where it states that the Dajneh and Mentuck tests that were reformulated in Sherman should apply. The appellants are saying that this applies every time there is a discretionary order that restricts the open court principle is requested. But we know that it has been established in paragraph 30 and 37 of Vancouver Sun that the tests in Dajneh and Mentuck do not apply, or they do apply with regard to a discretionary publication ban, do not apply when it has to do with the uh, identity of an informer. That's in paragraphs 30 and 37. I would ask you to wrap up because your time is up. Yes, so the appellants are are mixing up the two types of discretion involved here and are asking this court to move away from the Vancouver Sun test with regard to a commitment to confidentiality under which uh, the details would be revealed. And that would go against Vancouver Sun. And they are drawing on paragraph 90 of the dissenting opinion of Justice Lebel to make that statement in their submissions and to justify their request to have access to more information than necessary when it comes to protecting the identity of the informer. Thank you, thank you very much. Mr. Nicolas Legrand-Alary, Chief Justice, Justices of the uh, Bar Association of Quebec, would like to draw your attention to two things, that uh, the appointment of an amicus curiae uh, under the Vancouver Sun test and uh, the disclosure of a minimum of legal information. So the role of counsel as officers of the court is important to support the judge in exercising its, his, his or her discretion under Vancouver's Sun. When it comes to appointing an amicus curiae in very complex cases where there are additional issues, was was recalled in kazai of this court. As the court stated in paragraph 37 in Kasai, that rule is justified by the reasoning uh, according to which the court should not uh, have, should have support when it comes to a complex uh, case and needs submissions to the effect of that. So when it comes to police informers, they are involved in very complex uh, cases where there are additional issues where an amicus curiae would be useful. And so, according to the test, when the, and here we see it, when the informer is the accused, it requires an amicus to decide whether the informer privilege applies Uh, here with, with according to Vancouver Sun, we are a situation in which the Justice had a, an in-camera court where both parties were making the same submissions, So there was no adversarial debate there, and that is a source of concern uh, potentially. And in order to meet that concern, appointing an amicus curiae uh, to make submissions from the other side uh, would have been an asset at the second step of vancouver sun uh, the quebec bar also believes that an amicus curiae could enlighten the judge with regard to the extent of the scope of confidentiality to preserve the identity of the informer um, so considering that the order has an impact on the open court principle so at that point the amicus curiae could also enlighten the court on the means available with regard to um, notice to the media, for example, or only to counsel, or communicating certain elements to only the counsel involved. The principle, and it's in uh, paragraph 55 of the Vancouver Sun, and the principle must always be that the judge must, to the extent possible, favor the openness of debate without compromising the informer privilege. And it's delicate because if you have you have a criminal trial against a um, police informer, where a judge must ensure that privilege, the informer's privilege, is prote- protected. But we think that there should be that uh, an amicus can help smooth the process. So we also, with regard to Vancouver Sun and the confidentiality of the information in the record, very rarely. Uh, uh, well, with regard to those those information, that will not reveal uh, the identity of the infirmer in its in Vancouver Sun, that uh, at forty one, uh, that the measure must be at the last resort to. Uh, to make it confidential because the judge must ensure that the public has as much access as possible uh, to the information without revealing the identity of the informer. So there's uh, the, um, the tribunal, the file number that's partly redacted, um, and that kind of information does not generally make it possible to identify the informer. Those information That information is important for uh, the openness of uh, courts. And the court of appeal recognized that access to information should be respected to a minimum so with regard to 446 of the criminal code the court states that the starting point is at minimum that a that a file has been opened and that the case is on the docket and 486 states that when it comes to that exercise it requires a minimum of publicity so in the the court of appeal recognized the secret trial, which is recognized as exceptional, should never happen again because it leads to uh, to unknowable consequences with regard to the administrative justice. At paragraph 11, there is no trace of this trial other than in the memory of those who participated. So we can think of other scenarios, like the loss of the file that wasn't properly kept by the registry or the judge's inability to, to act. That will have an impact on uh, the public's confidence in the administration of justice because total secrecy prevents the public from seeing that the fundamental principles of the the criminal justice system have been respected, such as the fairness of
2: trials. Thank you for your attention.
0: Springate.
2: Thank you, Mary Springate. Yes, good morning, justices, our comments this morning seek to clarify that yes, there is a minimum uh, threshold of publicity that must be respected for a criminal trial. In our brief, we did some work to try to identify the basic information that need to be communicated to the public to ensure that this minimum threshold is met. In our opinion, and without going into details of all of the information that we have identified, it is tied mainly to what is needed to ensure or check uh, the independence of the court uh, the impartiality of the judge and we also include the identity of the author of the prosecuting authority without getting into the names of prosecutors or individuals who are de- charged with the file but to determine which prosecuting authority is it is it the feder- is it the federal crown is it uh, the um, the uh, jet ju- Attorney General, it must be, because this person must be accountable to the public. Our comments are asking the following question. What do we do in circumstances like uh, the one at hand in the protection of the informer privilege means it is effectively impossible to share this information with the public. So the solution, and we believe that the only solution is a stay of proceedings. I note that my Mr. Leblanc, my colleague, uh, had a similar position. And our organization submits that in a situation where a a secret trial must be held, we could also use the term in-camera trial, in full secrecy in which this information cannot, basic information cannot be shared with the public. It harms the justice system to the point that a stay of proceedings is is what is needed. I would add that this situation responds to the definition of a stay of proceedings, which is in the Babos decision by this court and more generally in the residual category in which we we will recall that this court reminded us that there can be conduct or even a situation which so harms the justice system that there is no choice but to proceed with a stay of proceedings. And it is not necessary to demonstrate reprehensible conduct or uh, bad faith by an actor or a prosecutor, for example, to have a situation of fact, which means that the harm would be so grave that there must be a stay of proceedings. We submit that in this case... This is a classic case that would fall into this residual category of stay of proceedings and in which the stay of proceeding would be fully justified. The doctrine of the stay of proceedings is in our opinion apt for this situation because it encompasses the, 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 the idiom that the end does not justify the means. In this case, the end, the potential, of obtaining a conviction of an individual does not justify the means which threaten the public's trust in our justice system. We know, and I, I don't need to repeat it, that our justice, criminal justice system depends on public trust. That it cannot operate without the respect and the trust of the public. And so it is a situation in which the end that that is a potential conviction does not justify the means. So we invite this court to clearly rule that there is this minimum threshold and when this minimum threshold cannot be met this a stay of procedure is is needed. We are know that there must be great deference given to the prosecutor to Table a criminal charge and and bring the process to an end. But discretion is not without limits. There are control measures, and they are in the uh, abuse of proceedings. And the courts must dissociate from this situation by imposing a stay of proceedings. And that concludes my submissions. Thank you. Mm.
6: Thank you. Good morning Chief Justice Justices. I'm here today on behalf of the Center for Free Expression, and in my time this morning I'd like to make two key points. First, that this privilege has unique potential to curtail the public's Section 2B rights. And that second in light of this potential the second step of the vancouver sun process should be revisited to ensure that adversarial debate takes place before such orders are issued by the courts let me turn to my first point now the exceptional nature of this privilege under current jurisprudence uh, police informer privilege has a broad scope mandatory application it automatically overrides other public interests and is subject to only one very narrow exception In our view, an in-camera consideration of this privilege is distinct from other in-camera discussions. Police informer privilege once applied holds significantly greater potential to cloak a broad range of court information and processes from public view. And as this court has recognized, the privilege will often be invoked and applied in a non-adversarial setting. This brings me to my second point, that in light of the significant impact this privilege can have on open courts, this court should adopt three key procedural protections. And one is a modification to Vancouver Sun. The other two, I would say, are clarifications of that decision. And they all fall within the second step of the Vancouver Sun test. So first, let me address the modification. We do urge this court to adopt basic notice requirements. In our view, this is a minimal administrative burden. It does not require a finding that notice is constitutionally required. The respondent has argued that in this case, the very fact of providing notice would defeat the privilege. The form of the notice, however, is not set in stone. In most cases, notice will not be problematic. And in our view, it is hard to conceive of a case, exceptional or not, where minimal notice that does not disclose the identity of parties or the judge will reveal privileged information. Our second modification is that interested
5: parties should... Excuse
2: me, can I ask you just... Why, is, why isn't it constitutionally mandated? I mean, to listen to your argument, you're rooting your argument in freedom of expression. Why wouldn't you say that, the, and you're now saying the notice requirement is, it's hard to imagine a circumstance where it wouldn't be required. I presume you mean it would, wouldn't be required by the exigencies of freedom of expression.
7: Why, why do you stop at the gate there, and,
2: and if so, on what basis?
6: I don't think it's necessary to find that it's constitutionally required uh, for this court to impose that uh, step. There may be a constitutional argument. Uh, Those arguments are not before this court today. There is certainly though a relationship between the Section 2B rights and open courts, but I do think that this court has the discretion and authority to put in place basic procedures to protect open courts in general, whether or not they're grounded in specific constitutional rights.
5: Well, in addition to uh, charter rights, the operation of the common law is informed by charter values. So that might even come into play.
2: Yes,
6: absolutely. Thank you very much. It's a good point. The second modification, and and this is a modification, not a change, I would say, is that interested parties should presumptively be given standing at the second stage of the test and to the greatest extent possible, be provided with the information they require to make relevant submissions. It is at this stage that we feel judicial summaries or redactions may be helpful. And the appellants have also suggested the use of confidentiality undertakings. Now, in our view, there is, at a minimum, a tension in the prior jurisprudence as to who can receive what information and when. The Vancouver Sun decision does endorse the use of confidentiality undertakings for media counsel. There must, therefore, be some margin of discretion left to the presiding judge that permits counsel for parties, typically outside the circle of privilege, to access information that presents some possible concerns. In our view, this is an important tool that should be preserved and used in appropriate cases. And third, <clears throat> in circumstances where the constitutional issues will not be fully argued by the parties, an appointed advocate should be selected to make submissions about the public section to be rights. While the use of an amicus at the second step of the process was not considered in Vancouver Sun, there are other appellate courts that have considered the role of amicus in the Garofoli process. Uh, I will leave you with our urge that the logic from those cases should not be imported into the situation like the one before this court, as the Garifoli process creates incentives to narrow the privilege claim. It may result in extensive redactions, it may invalidate the warrant, it may require that defence counsel be given summaries of information to ensure meaningful debate can occur. That is not the case in this process. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
0: Adam Goldenberg.
7: Thank you, Chief Justice. Good morning, Chief Justice and Justices. The submission of the CCLA is that secret trials are not provided for in the Constitution, in federal legislation, or at common law. Here we share the view expressed by Maître Springate and by others in this morning's hearing. A provincial statutory court, like the Court of Quebec, has no power to conduct a secret trial such as was conducted in this case. So this submission relates to the disposition of the issue raised by the media appellants and spoken to by Maitre Leblanc this morning with respect to the approach that should be followed at step two of the Vancouver Sun inquiry. Maitre Leblanc submitted that the question at step two to which all concerned must address themselves is what information must be made public, Vancouver Sun instructs that to the extent possible the open court principle must be accommodated provided that there's no risk of a breach of the informer privilege the assumption on which this assertion stands and on which this question is based and which has not come to the fore in previous cases raising this issue in this court is the assumption that any court has the power to limit the open court principle to whatever extent that court deems necessary to avoid risking a breach of the informer privilege and the reason that i say that assumption is ill founded is that where the court in question is a statutory court a provincial court like the court of quebec the power to limit the open court principle even to protect the informer privilege is constrained by the division of powers in the constitution because a provincial statutory court only has such implied jurisdiction as may eminent as may emanate from its statutory grant of authority. And where it's a provincial statutory court, that grant of authority is provincial, not federal. And so does not encompass the governance of the informer privilege, which is a matter of federal criminal procedure. So the question that the courts need to ask, including the court at first instance in this case, is whether this court, the court that has been asked to make an order or orders protecting the informer privilege, has the power to make the orders that it has been asked to make. Let me advance two propositions in the brief time that remains to me. The first is that the informer privilege is a matter of federal criminal procedure. This, we say, is clearly established by this court's decision in Bisayon all the way back in 1983. And as in that case, this case should confirm that the power to uh, make decisions concerning the informer privilege is a federal power one that Parliament can exercise in the Criminal Code and in enacting provisions of the Criminal Code, including those provisions that Parliament has enacted, providing for confidentiality orders in criminal proceedings, but it cannot be exercised by a provincial legislature or a fortiori by a provincial statutory court that derives its authority from a piece of provincial legislation. The court may also have regard to its older decision in Bateri, a 1965 decision out of Saskatchewan, which deals with another rule of criminal procedure and confirms that the rule of concerning the compelability of a witness is a matter of criminal procedure and thus cannot be altered by provincial statutory law. And if it can't be altered by provincial statutory law, this is my second proposition, it cannot be altered by implication by a provincial statutory court. That's confirmed by this court's recent decision in the CBC and Manitoba case, where in paragraph 63, you instructed that implied powers of a statutory court arise by necessary implication from the legislative grant of the court's authority. In that case, it was the Court of Appeal of Manitoba. Here it's the Court of Quebec. But in any event, the implication begins with the legislative grant. And where that legislative grant is provincial, the only powers that can be implied from it are provincial powers. Those do not include powers concerning the informer privilege, a federal rule, a federal criminal procedure, which has to be the same, Sion teaches, across all jurisdictions, lest it be put in jeopardy by jurisdictional variation. The power to regulate a matter of criminal procedure, here the protection of the informer privilege, cannot be implied from a provincial grant of authority. And so a provincial statutory court may only make orders to protect the informer privilege where the power to make those orders is located in the Constitution or in federal legislation. And nothing in the criminal code permits a provincial statutory court to make the breadth of order that was made here. That was an excess of the court's statutory authority.
0: That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Scott Dawson.
4: Chief Justice, Justices, the Media Coalition of Interveners includes uh, regional and national print news media, national broadcast news media, and an organization of Canadian media lawyers. The factum of that uh, media coalition broadly makes two points. Uh, with a view to assisting on the question of how the courts can deal with matters that require a high level of secrecy while still fostering confidence in the administration of justice now uh, one of those two points has to do with um, the appointment of amicus as a mechanism to facilitate the full consideration of the open court principle Um, that's addressed in my factum yeah i'm going to focus today as time permits on the other aspect of, of um, the media coalition's factum which is the proposition that the public is entitled to a minimum level of disclosure even and in fact I would say especially in cases that involve extreme secrecy and in the ordinary case um, a member of the public can go to the registry can see the docket can see the notices posted on the wall can ask to review the file Can see the orders that are pronounced in the file and can sit in the gallery and hear proceedings in open court and all of that allows the public to follow a proceeding through its court see how it's progressing but one question that confronts the court in this case and really in all cases involving extreme secrecy regardless of the basis for that secrecy is how to ensure The public has meaningful information about the existence of every case. Now, in the post-media and named person case from the B.C. Court of Appeal last year, the court observed that the media ought not to have to sleuth out the existence of orders that restrict court openness. And, And I would go further with respect, and I would say the public and the media should not have to sleuth out the existence of proceedings in which those orders were granted. So it it may be obvious, but I'll make it more obvious. The the notice I'm referring to is of the proceeding itself, information about the proceeding itself. I'm not here referring to a particular notice, for instance, uh, notice that a party has applied to go in camera. I'm rather upstream of that so that the public has some understanding that the case exists, that it's progressing through the courts and broadly um, uh, what it contains. My factum gives uh, some examples of um, what kind of information might be given, neutral uh, information that can protect the privilege that's sought to be protected uh, in the case. Um, the, The notice can be given by the parties or by the court. The notice can be given using existing technology in place in almost all courthouses across the country. So the media coalition suggests that even in cases of extreme secrecy, the public deserves and requires that minimum level of disclosure. So the public knows what its court is doing in a given case and that the given case is progressing. Now, um, this morning there have been some questions about the interplay between that proposition and, and the named person case. It's sometimes referred to uh, in, this morning as the, as the uh, Vancouver Sun case, but I'm referring to named person and the Vancouver Sun from 2007. And I'll just end with a couple of observations about that case, if I may. The first is that was a highly exceptional case the facts in that case were highly exceptional and that's referenced at paragraph 24. And some of the exceptional facts included that the informant was a party and that notice was in fact given uh, first to an amicus and then to media counsel and the court did have an adversarial debate. Now, the court in that case gave guidance on how the informer privilege um, can be um, addressed in circumstances that are unusual and the guidance was noted to be generalized. It wasn't specific to the very unusual facts of that case. But may I suggest that the unusual facts of that case need to be kept in mind um, when it comes to the invitation, if I can put it that way, at paragraph 44, for the general principles to be modified, modified where, where necessary in the particular circumstances facing the court. And so, w- whether one calls it guidance or modification to address a particular circumstance, um, that named person in Vancouver Sun case leaves open the possibility of further guidance, further uh, guidance from this court. And, and I say, it should give, this court should give further guidance in the circumstances that are before you now, which are not the circumstances from named person, namely, if all the parties before the court are pulling in the same direction against court openness, then the modification or the guidance that, that I think this court and I suggest this court should consider giving is to require notice. Thank you so that there can be an adversarial debate. Thank you very much. Thank
0: you. Daniel Kapoor.
8: Yes, thank you Chief Justice, Justices. Um, The submission I wanna make today concerns the extent to which an accused person or indeed any person who has a constitutional right to make submissions um, and is excluded from the process should be accommodated and in and in that circumstance, I want to talk about participatory rights anchored in the Constitution. And in particular, where, say, Section 2B is implicated, say, the accused right to a fair trial or stinchcomb disclosure is implicated. In both those instances, those litigants have a right to make submissions to express their position and vindicate their constitutional position. We do this by participation. So if somebody is excluded for a legitimate reason, that is to protect informant privilege, the trial judge needs to consider how to accommodate the excluded litigants' entitlement to make submissions. And I appreciate that in Vancouver Sun there's a reference to discretion, but Vancouver Sun didn't consider the situation of an accused person who is seeking to stinchcomb disclosure, it is redacted and brings an application to set aside the redactions to gain access, is met by a claim of privilege. In that litigation, which determines whether the privilege is in place, the accused should be heard, but clearly he cannot be, because he cannot get access to the privileged information. We say respectfully that there ought to be counsel appointed to essentially make submissions that the accused person would have made. Practically speaking, that appointment should not be controversial. Practically speaking, there is no risk to the closed information. Hang that on is the now. Information. Hang on now. I'm sorry.
5: Hang on yes. now. So let's say someone is snitching on the Hells Angels. Right. They get found out, they're done. So you open up the circle of confidentiality by bringing in someone else who's not the police, who's not the Crown Prosecutor, who could be blackmailed, who could have their daughter uh, kidnapped on the way home from uh, school, and the information is extracted from them. Of course there's a risk, is there not?
8: So those examples could happen to a police officer, could happen to a crown attorney, uh, could happen to a judge.
5: Generally speaking, so, generally speaking criminal gangs do not uh, kill police officers or judges. It's bad for business.
8: Well, respectfully, they don't kill defense lawyers either, nor do they kill amicus or special counsel. We know this. We have had this experience. You look at Division IX and ERPA there are very, very serious cases, serious intelligence that compromises national security. Not one of us who's a special advocate has been threatened or killed, all right? So respectfully, the confidentiality provisions are respected by counsel. There's, and this court has said as much in Harkat. In Harkat at paragraph 70 in the 2014 decision, this court said counsel can be trusted to keep confidential information. So this notion, that by adding a special counsel who is experienced, who has their entire career kept confidences, that somehow they will now all of a sudden not keep the confidence respectfully, just does not accord with our practice and history. I appreciate that there is a long tradition of maintaining the circle of privilege, but this innovation, as we have had it in Erpa and elsewhere. You look at the case like Havisher that was before you not long ago. These, This innovation can only serve to protect and ensure that an accused's right to participate is vindicated. There is no risk, respectfully, or if there is, it is no greater than a Crown or a police officer. And I would want to say, when you look at our uh, Factum, you'll see the types of terms that we think should be uh, imposed. Those terms lock down the information. They prevent the flow of information to the accused person. So, respectfully, what we have here is attention. On the one hand, protect the information. On the other hand, how can we ensure that someone who's constitutionally entitled to make a submission on that issue can make it? And respectfully, the appointment of counsel will accomplish that. Those are my submissions. Thank Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much. Maître Jeanette oui
1: yep. yes. Good morning, Chief Justice, Justices. Naturally, uh, the Attorney General of Canada does not contest the importance of the open court's principle. It is of absolute uh, necessity in a country where there is the rule of law. We are fully aware of the, or this court is aware of this, in. Vancouver Sun we can see it, there is a guiding principle that courts uh, when they must uh, protect the privilege of an informer must take into account the openness of debate and allow public access to courtrooms. A judge that is in the delicate situation in which there is a claim of informer privilege has a great deal of discretion to try to find solutions that reconcile the openness of the courts and informer privilege according to the circumstances for each case. The judge has a number of tools at his or her disposal and I'm not t- teaching you anything here. Uh, the judge uh, can uh, give a notice, appoint an amicus, uh, issue orders restricting uh, the, uh, the confidential or the openness of debate, and it can be more or less restrictive, going all the way to full in camera um, without ever endangering the privilege of the um, informer by revealing the identity to those outside the circle of trust. So, the Court of Appeal talked about circumstances that are unusual and in the factums of the appellant are inviting you to restrict uh, the uh, discretion of the judge and to create rules that can be applied systemically to each case in which there is um, a confidentiality order, including an order to protect informer privilege. So here, if we have understood the factums properly, if we take them all together, but well, we understand them together, even though though they don't don't all agree on all points, so they would like an um, a mandatory notice to all uh, interested third parties they would like to extend the circle of trust and allow access to confidential information to the media to an amicus or a special counsel to be able to debate on whether the it, the court should be open or not in that case and third, they would like to have a weighing of uh, the uh, rights protected by the uh, Dajne-Mentuck and now Sherman tests uh, with regard to the discretion used by the judge to protect privilege. And so if we have understood this properly, they're not just asking you to revise the principles in Vancouver's son. They were also asking you to change the state of the law substantially when it comes to the, to informer privilege of course and a number of principles set out by this court in Basie, Brasington, Liepert, Barros, Durham Regional Crime Stoppers and Aviva, sorry Given the significance of informer privilege and how important it is uh, to the administration of justice. The Attorney General of Canada believes that it is, that it is, n- the, this court should not be changing the principles stated in its earlier decisions. There is no difference uh, between uh, the measures to restrict the openness of courts uh, with relation to informal privilege and all other privileges or other uh, orders uh, to um, restrict debate be it with regard to sexual assault against children, as in Vancouver Sun, or a privilege such as the class privilege, which is attorney-client general uh, attorney client privilege. rather. In our submission, it would be a bad idea to restrict the judge's discretion and to order that a strict rule or a systematic procedure be created to require that third parties be notified, that the advocates be appointed, or that confidential information be revealed so that there can be uh, debate in open court. This would have a, uh, have a freezing effect on a system that is already overloaded and it has a number of delays and or a paralyzing effect and if this court decides like the uh, british columbia did in bacon uh, that a, a record with no trace of uh, the proceedings is unacceptable uh, then uh, that really th- that lower court judges should not interpret vancouver sun uh, to see that they cannot interpret it to lead to complete secrecy in a proceeding that will be enough and that is will avoid uh, having this court restrict their discretion as is being proposed to you thank you
3: good morning uh still um, the uh attorney general of ontario's position uh is that this court's decision in vancouver sun uh, should remain the law our submission is that you should not create mandatory procedural requirements that may may be inconsistent with the fundamental duty to maintain privilege in a given case. To impose such requirements, such as importing the test in Dagenet into the framework, is to challenge the privilege. Now, from a practical perspective, there are two related problems that we can foresee if the law were to be changed as proposed. Uh, First, discouraging informers. Uh, Currently, the protection of the privilege, it depends on certainty. What police can now promise an informer is that anything that could tend to identify them will only be disclosed to people duty-bound to protect it. It's not discretionary. If that promise became contingent on the discretion of a judge, or may include third parties, the promise loses all value. Uh, The second problem is that prosecutions in the public interest either won't be initiated or won't proceed. Mandatory requirements regarding notice or enlarging the circle of privilege may conflict with the duty to protect the identity of an informant. If a prosecutor can see such a conflict in the future, they won't initiate the prosecution in the first place or will have to discontinue it when the problem becomes apparent later on. We need the flexibility to adapt to different situations as they arise. For example, there may be perfectly valid reasons to prosecute an informant. The reason informants have access to information may be because they're involved in serious criminality themselves. Uh, Informant status cannot be a grant of immunity. Alternatively, there may be cases where if a person is not charged, the failure to prosecute them may in itself identify them as an informant. Imagine a group of five people who plan to commit a serious crime, such as a murder or terrorist act. If one of them has been giving information to the police about the other four, not knowing that the police got a wiretap and obtained evidence against all of them, um, if that informant is not charged, the other four will immediately know who the informant was. This is the type of case where uh, notice may or may not be impossible. But if charged, it may not be possible to proceed against any of them Uh, without the flexibility that the current process in Vancouver Sun allows. Alternatively, informants may be victims of crime. Imagine an informant was sexually assaulted by their handler. Uh, They shouldn't have to choose between justice and and their privilege. There has to be a way to conduct this type of prosecution in the public interest while still protecting the privilege. Now, we're not saying that invariably this type of case must be in camera, consistent with Vancouver Sun, Courts must consider all possibilities short of fully in-camera proceedings and in most cases, maybe we'll be able to accommodate. Uh, but things like timing may, may make a difference. A uh, notice that has to be uh, at the same time as the issue arises. If uh, it, it may not be possible to give that notice at the same time that uh, John Doe informant is walking around the courtroom. It may be possible to give that notice later on. This is the kind of flexibility uh, that is, uh, is required to stay with, with a trial judge. Uh, we would also recommend the use of uh, judicial summaries uh, as are used in the context of uh, Garofoli challenges, which can be a very useful tool in this regard. Uh, but ultimately, flexibility uh, needs to be maintained. The speci- specific steps taken to respect the open court uh, principle while protecting the privilege should avoid mandatory one-size-all requirements so that meritorious prosecutions can proceed where appropriate with the confidence of knowing in advance that information that could tend to identify an informant will not be spread outside the circle of privilege the end result of mandatory requirements will not be that more information is revealed to the public it will be that meritorious cases in the public interest will not be prosecuted ultimately this court should distinguish between two questions uh, the sufficiency of the legal framework to manage uh, informant privilege generally and in this particular situation where an informant is charged and whether that framework was correctly applied in this specific fact situation uh these questions are distinct and shouldn't be collapsed uh, in our submission nothing has changed from the time of vancouver sun where the pro- uh, where the process now suggested was rejected the court should decline the invitation to water down informant privilege Thank you. Thank
0: you very much. Deborah Alford.
9: Good morning, Chief Justice and Justices. I first wish to start by uh, offering my apologies to this court, as well as to my friends for the uh, errors contained in my factum regarding Regina and Sullivan and Spruce Mills. Moving on, it is our uh, It it will come as no surprise that the Attorney General of Alberta echoes the comments of the Attorney General of Ontario. And ask that this court, of course, keep in mind that what we are dealing with and the suggestions that are being made is to erode informant privilege, a privilege that is longstanding, is historical, has good policy reasons behind it. And that not only provides uh, protection for known informants, anonymous informants, but it allows a confidence that future informants will be able to come forward, provide information that will lead to the enforcement and the prosecution of crime. The discretionary actions that can be taken by a trial judge faced with the hard duty to manage uh, openness of the court and manage the protection of uh, informants needs to be understood and Needs to have the finesse and the flexibility allowed. Dejeuner, Mentuck, and Sherman Estates, we must remember, dealt with conflicting rights. To, for example, in Mentuck and Dejeuner, it was the fair trial under Section 11D and Section 2. In Sherman Estate, it was Section 7 rights of the trustees balanced against section 2b those cases did not deal with this sacrosanct common law class privilege similar of course to the class privilege that we have in solicitor client communication informants of course can come in all forms they can be the anonymous informant who provides a tip to a crime stoppers program they can be the retired neighbor who watches from their home every day, the goings-on in the neighborhood. They can be the person working at home, watching uh, what's going on.
5: Yes, and often, in my experience, they're quite unsavory people who want to have revenge on, on someone else who's also in a, an unsavory person. So they do come in all varieties.
9: Yes, you're absolutely uh, correct, Justice Rowe, because oftentimes um, they are within the very high echelons, perhaps, of organized crime. They are very close to the criminality. And this is why the reprisals and the uh, vengeance that is sought upon informants must be so acutely protected because there is very real danger that if any information identifies an informant, regardless of the form of that informant, any information can lead to physical assaults, psychological assaults, murder, kidnapping. I I mean, the vast array of criminality that can be met out upon informants, uh, this court knows. So, that is why in alberta's submission the proposals by the appellants and some of the interveners we respectfully submit be uh, denied by this honorable court those are our respectful submissions thank you
0: thank you very much mr leblanc
2: reply thank you With respect to what my colleague just said
0: the
5: privilege
2: what we are saying however is that informer privilege is one of the tools in the toolbox for police officers investigating crime it shouldn't be used to obtain secret procedures in in full secret secrecy and when we say that an amicus can be appointed even at the at the trial level. I heard a colleague say that today. It, do, it changes nothing for us. At best, it means that one additional person will have in their memory what happened at the trial court level. At best. You know, our, pro- our proposal is such that concretely a situation like this one cannot occur again. And when we talk about uh, judicial discretion, it's certain that what we're saying is that a notice must be sent unless, but the judge has discretion if they feel that the notice itself would identify the police informer. But our position is that if that is the case, the judge must stop, stay the proceedings and not engage the criminal justice system, Mr. Leblanc, rather than Proposing a wall-to-wall rule, an an amendment you used other words for Vancouver Sun, which would change the rules across the board. Would it be possible for the court to s- specify that the judge's discretion does not extend to holding and a a a court a a trial in full secrecy? I'll use that in in, uh, quotation marks for this current case. But do you think that rather than saying we remove the discretion for the notice, uh, for other issues, do do you think that you could address the discretion in that way? Well, already that would be much better. But for me personally, the judge's discretion is better preserved if this court sets out that an, a notice must be given unless the judge who holds discretion feels that the informer would be identified by that notice because the discretion still remains then the judge still has discretion on the information that would be shared for the, d- the debate and then the judge would also have discretion to know what would after that after that useful debate what would be uh, shared. If the court stopped saying discretion cannot go all the way to a trial held in complete secrecy, what would stem from that could be affected. And we are not questioning the fact that the judge after the trial may come to the conclusion that an in camera is necessary a full in camera and I don't want to, a, a total in camera is not what we saw here the only hitch is that the public thought and saw what happened this is a in, entirely secret proceed proceeding that is why in all of our reflection and and we are Every time we came to that conclusion, and Justice Kazarer, it is a change to Vancouver Sun uh, with concern to the discretion. But let's not forget that our issue is that I cannot control whether the discretion was applied or used in a way that respected fundamental freedoms because we were never able to know if if that was an issue and that is the, the the issue here that is why this discretion to send a notice must be removed because in addition we can't take action we can't because we will we, we will never know if it was applied you said unless the judge decides that the simple fact of publishing a notice would identify the informer. You think it would need to say that? Yes, they would keep that discretion to not send a notice in that case. I don't want to lead you to to mislead you. The only means in our opinion, the only discretion that they would keep on the notice is that if they think it would identify the informer because we do not want to erode that principle, they may say I will not send a notice but, but in that, in that point, they, they would not engage the criminal justice system. Thank
0: you. Mr. element MS.
1: Justice Cazirer, to begin to answer your question to uh, Mr. LeBlanc, perhaps, a redacted decision from the lower court would have avoided what we've heard today. The Attorney General truly is concerned that having additional generic solutions, while they could be judicious in some circumstances, would, we worry, compromise the delicate balance between the principles at play today. With regard to uh, the adversarial debate and the Gardner table that was uh, put forward, uh, the process leads to an adversarial debate and leads to providing enough information for that same debate. We think that that is an exercise in risk management and would weaken informer privilege. With regard to the interveners, the Association of Defense Lawyers and the media as well, that a trial can only take place If a minimum amount of information is disclosed and with regard to issuing a notice, if there is no notice, then the proceedings must be stayed. That opens the door wide open to not having trials for a number of criminal offenses and that is not something that is acceptable to us. So what, when it comes to um, talking about this sort of uh, free ticket for certain crimes, well then, we heard it from the Attorney General of Ontario, then that would just allow s- the uh, uh, possible abuse by informers, or, uh, of informers by police officers, for example, and that would also be unacceptable. So we would say to you that in the current circumstances, it would not be appropriate to to cancel or modify Vancouver Sun and to widen the scope uh, of the circle of of privilege and to change existing, um, the existing tests. And there has to be flexibility and there has to be balance between uh, the principle of the open court and the Protection of Informer Privilege. Thank you. The uh, Court will now adjourn until tomorrow at 9.30. Enjoy the rest of your day.